A swing and a drive to left field. Gio Urshela's hit a grand slam! Gio Urshela, the most happy fella. Welcome to the Matanzerous Podcast. I'm Max Tanzer, joined alongside Ryan Medeiros. And Ryan, it's been a while since we've put one of these out, but I'm excited to bring it back. It really, I think, perfect timing as the Wild Card Series just wrapped up and we got the Division Series coming up on Monday and Tuesday, respectively, for the AL and NL. But before we get to that, Ryan, because we missed so much time, I think it's fair to break down our thoughts in the regular season as there was a lot of question if we would even get this far. And I've been super happy and super, super, super impressed with Major League Baseball, how they've handled the COVID tests, you know, and keeping fans out of the stadium and making sure everyone's safe. And I think for the most part, they've done a good job of it. And it looks like we're going to get a really fun postseason as well. What are your thoughts on how the 60 game season turned out? Well, Max, I mean, at some point earlier in the season, it, MLB was in full panic mode. We were talking <laughs> about potentially shutting down the season. We had Marlins outbreaks, Cardinals outbreaks. But Major League Baseball did an unbelievable job with these outbreaks, isolating them. Any future outbreaks or COVID cases we saw with the Oakland Athletics later in the season, they just canceled the games. I mean, your Mariners got a few yeah. days off that they had to make up later, a few A's, M's, double headers. But I mean, that's what they had to do. They did what they had to do, and they isolated those cases, and they got through the season. 60 games, they played almost almost every team played all of their 60 games with the exception of the Cardinals and Tigers only missed two games there that weren't even really necessary by the end of the season and we got through it unbelievable yeah and I think the Cardinals are one of the more impressive teams that got through it. you could even talk about the Marlins as well both of them making the postseason and I think those two were at top of the biggest storylines and headlines about uh, this topic right here both of them you know losing a lot of games and the Cardinals the fact that they were able to battle through all these double headers uh, stay in shape for the most part I know losing Hudson was a big loss but able to get to the playoffs and you know, be very competitive with the Padres, a very good team in that best of three series. And what looked like the Cardinals may have had a chance to win through a game and a half. Uh, you got to tip your cap to Major League Baseball and both of those organizations. And the Marlins obviously making some mistakes early on that a lot of people were frowning upon, but they were able to turn it around, stayed healthy for the most part. I think maybe past, you know, 20, 25 games, I don't even know if they had a positive test, but either way, we're able to push and be one of the more exciting stories uh, in Major League Baseball. And I don't want to say they redeemed themselves with that, but they definitely have a different look from Major League Baseball fans uh, because of that being able to turn it around. Absolutely. I mean, just looking at it, the two teams that seem like their seasons were in the most dire state end up becoming playoff teams. You can't really come up with a better story than that. I mean, they were the bane of all the rest of Major League Baseball at one point. Everyone was, you know, just so frustrated with the Cardinals and Marlins for having those positive cases. Everyone's saying, how did this happen? And they give them credit all season. Use that as motivation to battle back and make it to the playoffs. I mean, uh, Miami using that slogan bottom feeders that the <laughs> Phillies uh, personnel, uh, the Phillies um, broadcast team person broadcaster, yeah, gave them that title bottom feeders and used that as motivation to climb their way back into the postseason and now beating the Cubs in the first round as we'll get into. It's just so great. And going back to the Cardinals, while we're on the subject of the Cardinals, I think we should give a shout out to uh, just legend Bob Gibson who passed away oh, just yes. recently. 
just an unbelievable pitcher. Changed the game. Ch- changed the whole the whole pitching strategy of Major League Baseball. And just give him a shout out there. Absolutely, and I you couldn't have said it better right there. And it's very sad and unfortunate to see the losses uh, Major League Baseball has taken the last few months to the biggest names in terms of pitching, both Bob Gibson and Tom Seaver. Uh, and they really did transcend the game, as you talked about. And they did a lot, and we have so much appreciation for them. And I, I tell you, Ryan, those are two guys I really wish I could have watched in person. Uh, but shifting gears just a little bit now, I kind of wanted to talk about, and I'm actually putting you on the spot right here, but I, I just thought about this, and I think it would be an interesting conversation, talking about what the 60-game season means. I know a lot of people, including myself, coming into this year, were a little bit skeptical with the 60-game season and this expanded postseason, and if the World Series would count if you were to win it, or at least if it means the same as an 162-game season. And to be honest with you, Ryan, I think I've slowly and slightly shifted a little bit on that just because seeing how hard it has been for several teams out there in a 60-game season, one, it's a small sample size, two, they were away from their families, quarantined the entire time, uh, and then like teams like the Cardinals and the Marlins having to crunch all of that in the back end, plus handling injuries and so forth. That's a lot going on. You look at an Indians team that lost their manager and Terry Francona, Alomar having to step up. So much going on for so many different teams that were competing. I'd almost argue that it's just as hard, if not a little bit harder, to make it all the way to the World Series at this point. Yeah, absolutely. You made some great points there in posing that question. And I just want to pose this question to our viewers. I mean, you look at the standings. Are these standings that you would think would be similar to what they would be at the end of a 162-game season? Obviously, the Marlins are a bit of an outlier in that people weren't expecting weren't expecting them to be one of the better teams. But look at the standings. I mean, go through the divisions: East, Tampa Bay, in the American League; NL East, you got Atlanta; NL Central, you have Chicago; and AL Central, you got Minnesota; you have Oakland, and you have the Dodgers. Those are all teams that we expected to be there for the most part. Obviously, Tampa upsetting New York, but a lot of people had them as the favorites in the American League East heading into this season. So, I mean, you look at that and you think maybe 60 games is a good sample size for the best teams in the in, in each in each division. Um, it, it really is a good discussion. It's a tough discussion to make, but I'm willing to say that these standings are very similar, if not exactly what they would be at the end of a 162-game season. Absolutely. I agree with you for the most part on that, and I think the reason why it's a little bit better, too, is just because they expanded the postseason to 16 teams, eight in each league. I think that, for example, a team like the Reds got hot at the back end of the 60-game season. They were a team that people were very high on going into that, and then that also allows a team like the White Sox and the Indians who were both really dominant this season have a little bit more breathing room instead of having to battle for a wild card in the back end of the season but the risk of not even making the playoffs this is a format that I like for this season just because I don't think 60 games is quite enough of a sample size to prove who's good enough for example to be honest with you as much as I dislike the Astros right now Ryan I think they were definitely are a caliber of a team to finish above 500 if they've got 100 more games to play. I think they really could have, especially if they got healthier and so forth. And I think you could say that with a lot of teams. I think the New York Mets were another team who surprisingly had one of the best offenses in Major League Baseball this year. Uh, If they could have had some time to get healthy as well, I think they could have made a much bigger push than now in this small 60-game sample size. And then a team like the Yankees has benefited by it. At one point, the Yankees were in threat of falling out of the wild card race in general with eight teams in the American League making it. But the fact that uh, they're is an expanded postseason it allowed them to get healthier because whether you love them or not I know you're a Red Sox fan the Yankees with the roster they have deserve to be in the postseason it would be a shame if they were in a threat of falling out if they just threw five teams in there if that makes sense 
Yeah, no, that's a great point. And, uh, and looking back at it, I'm actually going to rescind that point I just made about the, these standings being exactly the same or, or very even very similar because I do believe that the Yankees had a great potential to maybe upset Tampa Bay at the, at the end of the season if we played 100 more games just because, again, those injuries played a huge factor. I am going to disagree with you on the Houston point, though, because of the fact that I don't see the Astros really having a lot of players who are injured or out or guys that could come back and help them again Justin Verlander was never going to come back he's not going to come back next year and there's really I mean unless you can correct me here there's really no big name guy that's out right now that would come back within another 100 games yeah I think I misspoke there instead of come back with injuries I think more time to get in the groove here obviously Jose Altuve again hitting 220 or whatever it was I think if you gave him more time would have given him more time uh to improve his game and get back to the Jose Altuve we all know. Same thing with George Springer. I know he started off the season terribly, and he was able to get that average back up to 260. Who knows what happens if he gets 100 more games. But more of what I meant is, and I appreciate you for correcting me, is that with more time, I think they would have had more time to get hot and come back to earth a little bit to where we saw the last couple years. Again, with the bullpen they have and how much younger they are, especially with the loss of Verlander now and McCullers, who's a bit of a wild card. I like Javier and Valdez, but... uh, Knowing that, and they've lost a couple of big names, I don't think they would be the dominant Houston Astros, and I still don't think they would have been able to beat out the A's in 162 games, but I definitely think they would have been a better team that teams or that fans wouldn't be so frustrated in making the playoffs. Because to be honest with you, I don't think the Astros are that bad of a team. Again, we all dislike them right now, but I don't think they are as bad as, per se, the Milwaukee Brewers who snuck in also two games under 500. Yeah, no, exactly. I, and I'm not a huge Astros hater on on the talent of the team i dislike the astros for what they did obviously but i do not dislike their quality of team that they have i do again i agree with you i I actually think uh javier and and valdez are fantastic pitchers that are going to help them for a long time and they do have some good quality pitching as well I just don't like their depth. Again, I believe that they would Mm -hmm. be an above 500 team, but I don't know how long they'd be able to sustain um, just uh, that winning uh, mentality for a whole season with, again, the level of depth that they have. I mean, Oakland has fantastic depth. We've seen their bullpen's been elite. They just throw guys out there consistently that, that get outs. And they're starting rotation again. Doesn't really count on one guy. You see guys like Fires, Manaya, Luzardo has thrown key innings for them, amongst other guys. Bassett has had a huge year. Ironically he came enough, kind of out Montas of and Medea have been two of the worst. But no, yeah, another thing. Yeah, I do want to. I do want to say something too. If it were to go 162 games and they just had five playoff teams per league, two wild cards, I don't think the Astros would make a wild card run. But I think they would be better statistically than they are right now because I think people are generally looking at your Bregmans who was out for a couple weeks already, your Altuve's, your Springer who's hitting 260, 270, and Gurriel who actually has been fairly solid this year as well. I think people are looking at that and judging that immediately. When to be honest with you, I still think they are a good team on paper, and I think they will show up for the postseason this year or at least for the American League Division Series against that Athletics team. I'm, I'm super excited for that series. Yeah, for sure. And, and I think Houston's postseason experience in the past, whether it's be cheating or not, they have that experience, and that does stand for something. Again, guys like Granke, who just is unfazed by anything, uh, guys like Jose Altuve, George Springer, Carlos Correa, they've been in the postseason for so long now. And again, they have a chip on their shoulder, whether it be right or not that <laughs> they have that chip. Yeah. Uh, they feel like they have something to prove, and that means something to them. So they're going to play like they've got something to prove, even though that 
I mean, they, they feel like they need to prove that they didn't need to cheat, even though they did, and they're awful for that. They feel like they have something to prove. So I think that makes them a dangerous team, whether, again, it be right or not. Yeah, and if you're an Astros fan right now, I think you got to love it, obviously. When I read the quote that Correa came out with the other day after the or during the press conference after they swept the Twins, I, was, I could feel the steam like boiling up in my ears you know I was incredibly I thought it was terrible <laughs> yes. I was so angry but you know what in a way you kind of got to respect it because instead of crunching when everyone hates you they have that chip on their shoulder mentality and they're going to try and push through this ace team where I think there's definitely going to be some fireworks and I won't we'll talk about it later but everyone knows what happened between the Rays and the Yankees this year but again, Loreano with the Astros and the Ace. Fires also on the Ace as well. That is going to be so much fun. And I really do think the Astros are going to show up to that one. I don't think it's going to be a walk in the park for the Ace. But now let's move on a little bit here, Ryan. Let's talk about the playoff series from this past week. The introduction of the American League wildcard series. And I've already talked about how I don't necessarily like the 16-game playoff format for an 162-game season. But it worked very well here. Throwing that part aside, what did you think of the best of three wild card format in general if they were to potentially keep that for the two teams next year, if they go with that? Well, you and I talked about this a little bit already, but I'll give a recap of kind of our thoughts on it. Uh, again, I don't want to speak for you, but I know we talked about it again, and I thought it was quite overwhelming. I thought as a hardcore baseball fan who wasn't just focusing on one team, there was so much going on at once. It was during the middle of the week. I was trying to get schoolwork done. We had classes. <laughs> it was just hard to focus on all the games going on at once. Obviously, it was a lot of fun, but it was also, again, a little overwhelming. And again, going to that 162-game season postseason format, I would not like this at all. I feel like, again, the five teams is good. I would like to see the wild card game turn into that three-game best-of-three series, and that would be a beautiful thing for teams that have played their hearts out the whole season. It's always devastating for teams like Oakland, who just win 95, 96 games, and then have to have it all come down to one. That's always been really frustrating to me to watch that. But again, I think... This year it was good to do that for the shortened season because it gave teams more teams a chance uh, again with the shortened season. But uh, again, for the full 162, I think the three game wildcard series for just those two teams is the ideal format. Yeah, and that's where I was going to go with it as well. And I agree with you 100%. I think that when I watch playoff baseball, I want to sit there and encapsulate everything. I want to break things down. And I think if you miss, you know, even a couple plays in a ball game there, you know, for example, if you're watching that Reds-Braves game with Bauer and Freed, that's dominant. And good, you could look at the box score and see that both Max Freed and Trevor Bauer were great. Sure, but you might not be able to see the fact that the Reds have left base runners in scoring position for the last three extra innings or so forth like that, and that just enhances the game a little bit more. Because imagine the amount of fans that were watching, per se, maybe the A's-White Sox game and then flashed to the Reds-Braves game in the last inning when Freddie Freeman, of course, walked off. You just missed an entire storyline that really enhances the circumstances of that ball game, And I think it's better when you can... Even though, like, in some playoff circumstances in the last couple of years, they'll have some overlapping games, it's not as crazy. But, as you said, the best of three works so well for the wild card series next year. I'd say to keep it for those two wild card teams, just because, as you mentioned, my favorite example is the 2015 National League Central. When I think it was, and I could be off by a game or two here, but I think the Cardinals had 101 wins, the Pirates 99, the Cubs 98, something in that vicinity. And the Cubs and the Pirates, two of the best teams in terms of record in Major League Baseball, 
both were screwed because one of them had to go home after one ball game. And unfortunately, that was the Pittsburgh Pirates, who unfortunately have continued continued at that point to have postseason struggles. Uh, but yeah, I think the best of three not only enhances the circumstances, but also would be more fair for teams, especially if you're at the deadline trying to make a big move. Um, but yeah, so let's talk about these series now. We had some really fun best of threes. Uh, let's start with that A's-White Sox series went to three games uh that was an interesting one the white Sox taking game one then the a's were able to come back and take the final two what were your finishing thoughts on that one again this debatably was of the games of the series that went to three games was the most exciting to me uh just the back and forth those last two games obviously the white Sox taking game one against oakland off the left-handed starter. I thought that was a really debatable managerial move by Bob Melvin. Obviously, he felt Luzardo was their best choice in Game 1 on that uh, extra rest after coming in relief against the Dodgers. They moved his start up there. Um, I I think it was... it, But to give Melvin credit, he went back and changed... Uh, Manaya was potentially their Game 3 starter. He went and changed it to Fires. Uh, and Oakland pulled it out there. Again, they, they let Fires last long, go a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, no. But I think the fact that he learned his lesson from game one yeah. was not going to throw another left-handed starter against the uh, Chicago, who had not lost a game to a left-handed starter. Uh, if that means something, I believe it means something. And, and the White Sox believe it meant something. I mean, listen to Tim Anderson's quote there when he found out that uh, Luzardo was going in game one. Uh, it, it, it was a really exciting series. Again, two exciting teams. I felt originally... Uh, again, we'll talk about our predictions to the postseason later, but I originally had Chicago advancing in this one, and that was my hardcore belief that the White Sox, two starting pitchers leading off, were going to get the job done. Obviously, Giolito got the job done in Game 1. He was fantastic, and I really felt that Keuchel was going to outmatch the A's in Game 2. Obviously, he didn't get it done, but... Uh, that was the, that was my prediction there, um, and then and then the it came down to the bullpens in Game Three, and we all know how elite the Oakland's bullpen is, and and they showed their strength there. Yeah, and I think that for Renteria, that was definitely something to question there. We'll get to that in a second, but I love that you bring up the whole Tim Anderson coming out and saying, why are you throwing a lefty against us? And look, if this if you're the Braves, yeah, go throw out Max Fried right there. One, because that's almost all you got besides Ian Anderson. Everyone else is hurt. But also the fact that that's your best guy, and he's has proven himself almost a little bit more. Sean, or excuse me, not Sean Manea, but uh, Luzardo, again, is a young guy who's flashed really good stuff this season. I remember with the Mariners, uh, he dominated them for the first four or five innings, then the third time of the lineup comes through, and they started to hit him a little bit hard. And I think that, you know, you almost have to question yourself a little bit in that situation. Sure, he might have the best stuff on the team, but does he have that experience? Uh, and now going back to Game 3 with the White Sox, uh, you know, he, it's almost it's funny because it worked for the Padres last night. So I'll give the Padres that. And I guess it didn't work for the White Sox in there. Renteria is probably a hero if that works out, I guess you could say. And Crochet getting hurt doesn't help you at all. But it definitely was interesting. And you could argue the Athletics did the same thing, but the Athletics have one of the best bullpens in Major League Baseball. Um, but what were your thoughts on that and that move from Renteria to take out Dunning so early? I didn't love it. I didn't love the move at all. I thought... Uh... Wasn't it was two thirds of an inning too? Uh, yes, it was, and and they had a jam, a little bit of a jam there with the Olsen, the Olsen, lefty yeah. coming up. Uh, it's it kind of gave an alarming type move for the White Sox instead of kind of Renteria. If I feel like if Renteria leave, left him in, it would have gave a little bit of more of a calming 
feel to the game but when he went and yanked him i mean that would tell me something as a player like okay our manager's panicking a little bit here going right to the bullpen immediately maybe that was a discussion that he had with dunning before the game like if you're still in the game by the time olsen comes up you're with runners on base you're done i'd be interested to hear dunning's thoughts on that i don't know if he would give that away that hey my manager talked to me about this before the game but i mean it it was I feel like that would be public knowledge, though. I've heard several times where managers have come out and said, this was our game plan. Of course, they're not going to say it before because they want to catch the team off guard. I remember, what was it, like a couple years ago, the 2018 National League Championship Series, Brewers-Dodgers, and Council takes out Miley to force uh, Roberts to you know, either have to clear his bench because of the platoon situation or whatnot. He came out and said that was the plan, and obviously you can imagine that's the plan, I guess, but I think, I think it would be more clear. I don't know. That is something interesting to think about, yeah. No, that uh, and I agree. That was a strategic managerial move. This move just screamed hitting the panic button a little bit. I feel like just like they just like emptied the. They're like empty the pen, bring everyone in. We're screwed here. It was a no score game at the point. It's not like Dunning had gotten rocked for two homers beforehand. They're like, okay, we need to get this guy out of here. He had done a fine job. Obviously, there was a couple runners on, but he really felt the need to bring in the lefty there. Did he? Did he just have this inkling that Olsen was just going to knock one out of the park if, if Dunning stayed in? Yeah, and I think, look, the worst case scenario is that Olsen, well, it was two runners on, hits a three-run bomb, okay? And if the bases were loaded, hits a grand slam. Okay, sure. But what are you telling your team right there? You don't trust that guy not to give up a home run. Like that, That's tough to see as well. And I think they brought this up in the broadcast too. Uh, just like imagine Dunning being out there, a young guy on the mound, not a lot of experience, and you're warming up, starting this ball game as you've done for the most of the season, and then you just see Garrett Crochet warming up right behind you, and you've thrown like 10, 11 pitches. You know, you're on the mound. That doesn't have to help you out too much either. But it definitely was an interesting move, and I'm curious to see if anything comes out from Renteria on that uh, or, or about that situation. But uh, definitely, I don't want to say it cost the White Sox, but when you're going to go to your bullpen that early and you're facing the team with one of the best bullpens in Major League Baseball. It's definitely, definitely a question mark for sure. The other thing on this series I wanted to talk about is Liam Hendricks. And I think with Liam Hendricks, they used him for about 45 pitches trying to go for the six-out save, or at least to close out the final six outs of the ball game. And Hendricks got in a little bit of trouble. Uh, the bases ended up being loaded. They brought in Jake Diekman, who I think gave up just one run this season, and that came a couple weeks ago against the Dodgers. And he was able to induce a hard ground out off the bat of Jose Abreu, stranded the tying run in scoring position. So they were able to hold on and win it. I was almost guaranteeing that Hendricks wouldn't come into the game the next day, but as you mentioned to me just a couple hours later, Melvin said he's still available, and Hendricks was, and he did a good job at the back end. Yeah, the move in game two to me was an absolutely ridiculous yeah. move by Ma- Bob Melvin. They were up by, by four runs, and you're bringing your closer in in the eighth. To and start it's not off like eighth? you don't have anyone. It's not like the Brewers, and all you have is Josh Hader and obviously Williams Hurt. But yeah, it's not like you only have one guy. You have other guys you could go to. It just puts you in a really bad position because typically in a game like that, like, okay, we're going to save our closer. If we get in a jam, we'll bring our closer in. Instead, they bring in the closer, get into a jam, and then have to bring their setup guy in. It just like it, it just had all the the feeling of a disaster in the making for Oakland. I I unfortunately wasn't able to watch the game live, but looking back, I was just thinking, holy mackerel, what a disaster this was for Oakland. They are so lucky to get out of this jam. Obviously, again, Jake Diekman, one of the elite setup men in baseball. Thankfully, they had him to bring in. 
But then again, Jose Abreu put good wood on that yeah. one to second base, and they they almost tied it up there. So the Oakland was lucky to get out of that one, and, and it paid off for them, I guess, because they ended up winning the series. But one last thing I want to bring up in this series that I just thought was so, so bad was the in-game interview with Ramon Laureano. <laughs> that was just awful. Again, besides the fact that he swore on live television, which happens sometimes when players are mic'd up, he just had no enthusiasm. To be fair to him, his team obviously was was not playing Giving very well at the moment. Hits, yeah, yeah, no, and and uh, it, it it just and he had no enthusiasm. The questions were awful. I think one of the questions was, "Hey, Ramon, is it hazy out there?" Of course, he doesn't know what hazy means, so he has to ask, "What you mean, like smoke?" And then they're like, "Yeah," and he just goes, "No." So, I mean, there was multiple questions along the lines like that. And I think it just goes to the fact that why are we doing this in elimination games? Why are we doing this in the postseason? We shouldn't even be doing this in the regular season. I I know we had a discussion about this, and you said that this should be something that's done in all-star games, probably spring training also. But, like, again, I want to hear your thoughts on this a little bit more in depth. Well, see, I had taken a break because I was going down to record something, and then I get your text oh my goodness, this interview is terrible. And I ran up and rewinded it, and I, I had the same exact reaction. I was almost laughing. It was so bad. And, you know, I'm actually, I don't want to say I'm pretty passionate about this because it's not like it's a crazy big problem, but I think it's absurd, you know? And, of course, Loriano agreed to it, and I know only came out and said that. I know that's public knowledge, but why are you going to put a mic on a guy and talk to him in an elimination game and then maybe Justin Turner the night before in game one of that series and Dave Roberts doesn't like it? They got to focus on this game. What kind of information are you trying to get? The only answers I think I hear are, yeah, you know, the cliche ones, you know, the Bull Durham answers. Yeah, we're just working hard and having fun out here, you know, and then every once in a while you hear him, you know, hey, step, take a couple steps back if you're, you know, on the line with Loriano, who's the center fielder. And it was, it, I think it's, I don't want to say it's a waste of time, but why can't you just mic them up and then take the best pieces you would like and then throw them on the air versus trying to force something out when a guy's trying to focus on the game. The interview is playing second in this situation for obvious reasons. And, you know, the all-star game makes sense because you can fool around. You can have uh, Freddie Freeman at the plate against Justin Verlander messing around. You can have Yelich and Bellinger out in the outfield mic'd up. But do you want to hear Loriano just saying yes or no to questions in the outfield and elimination game I don't and I don't think you do either I do think it's a waste of time I don't think it's even entertaining whatsoever I think it actually looks bad on both the broadcast and Major League Baseball yeah absolutely this is something we could discuss actually I would say I'm going to correct myself here I would say this is something that we could discuss all day but then again it's just blatantly bad all around so I don't think it's something that we could discuss all day (laughs) so I think it's just better off that we move on because we got a lot of other series to talk about here Uh, many exciting series yeah and another thing I too I wanted to bring up about the Hendricks thing before I move on is just with Melvin you know it's not like you have a one game lead and you're trying to close it out you have a game tomorrow you don't even know if you're going to win this one so you could argue that look we want to put our best guy in there but when you have other guys you got to be thinking i want to save this guy for tomorrow and obviously it worked out in the end but definitely a risky move but yes let's move on let's move on that other american league series the yankees and the indians and ryan i think the indians were one of those teams that no one wanted to play when you're lining up Shane Bieber, who had an electrifying season, a triple crown winner in the American League for pitching, and then you have Carrasco and Plesac as well, a dominant top three. The offense was the big question mark. 
But going into game one, which is a big tone center, I think a lot of people were thinking, all right, if Shane Bieber could be Shane Bieber and the Indians could scratch out a couple of runs, they should be in good shape. But that was a completely different story as the Yankees right off the bat were able to take that lead. Literally right off the bat, we saw LeMahieu get a single and then Judge pops a two-run home run. And after that, I was like, okay, that's it for Shane Bieber. He's going to be fine the rest of the game. He's going to give up two runs, and then he's going to shut him down. But unfortunately, that was not the case. And it was really sad overall. I don't want to get too much into the depth of Shane Bieber's terrible start. But again, he was so electrifying all year. It was really sad to see him get absolutely shelled on the on the on uh, on a national stage. That really, again, set the tone for the Indians pitching the rest of the series, and they really couldn't ever rebound. <laughs> Besides the fact is that we all thought the Indians' offense was going to be the problem, but the pitching ended up being the problem. It was really a bizarro backward, backwards world for the Indians. We saw Josh Naylor just break out out of nowhere, <laughs> which is really exciting. He just absolutely destroyed in that series. Jordan Luplau comes off the bench and just and just <laughs> comes up with a huge hit in Game 2, which I believe so far in the postseason was the most exciting game. You could argue Padres-Cardinals, that one really exciting game where Tatis knocked two out of the park and Machado came up with the big home run as well. But I think game two of New York and Cleveland was the most exciting postseason game. Yeah, no doubt. And to add to your point about how it was a little bit backwards, the Indians were able to score a ton of runs and stay in that ball game against the Yankees in game two. You'd think with Carrasco on the mound, then you have Karen Chak, who is filthy out of the pen this season, and Brad Hand, who had a good year as well, one of the better pens in Major League Baseball this year. That would be the formula to win that game two and force a game three, and who knows what's happening at that point. But it was the complete opposite story. Karen Chak obviously gives up the grand slam to Urshela, who, what a story that is, you know. I mean, getting DFA'd by the Indians and then coming back and pushing them out of the postseason, nothing better than that. All right, let's move to the National League now. Let's start out with the series that wrapped up last night, Padres and the Cardinals. And again, this one got off to a slow start. And I was thinking, I think people slept on the St. Louis Cardinals. They have some really good pitching as well out there, even without Hudson, who got hurt. Uh, And then they were able to take game one and really shut down that Padres offense, which was so, so, so important coming into this ballgame. And then you add in the factors that both lament and uh, Clevenger were out injury, and you had to start Paddock in Game One. It was a little bit more difficult, but the, uh, the excuse me, but the Padres were able to persevere. Persevere. What was your thoughts on that? Yeah, I know. Going into the series again, uh, for my predictions, I picked the Padres to beat the Cardinals, but I didn't predict it like this. I mean, again, we would have thought it. They would have lined it up with Clevenger, Lamet, and then potentially Paddock for Game Three. You could argue for Davies, more likely Davies, but. Lamette and Clevenger were both out, and they really counted on their bullpen heavily. Their bullpen was really heavily used in this in this series. And again, they show that their bullpen, which they developed and built up with trades with the Mariners, with the Royals for Rosenthal, they showed that that was one of their key strengths, aside from their elite offense and, and starting rotation. All around, the Padres are a good team, but again... The missing that starting pitching, they really counted on their offense and bullpen to pick them up there, and both of them did. Again, Tatis coming up huge in Game 2 to come back when things were looking really grim there for the Padres. They were, yeah. 
Yeah, and, and, and Machado coming up big and all around, again, their defense was pretty solid. They uh, Tatis coming up with a couple huge plays. Again, one play that really stuck out was him catching that line drive, that soft line drive from DeYoung that had a 97% hit probability, which is unbelievable. You could argue, and then he had another play that you could argue was even better when he caught that, yeah. that throw from Tim Hill to second base where I think he stretched out, probably almost strained a muscle there making that play. Uh, just... Tatis, again, it was really exciting to see that again on the national stage just because he's one of the premier young players in our game just to show off on the national stage was a really beautiful thing. Absolutely, and I don't know if you saw the videos of San Diego, downtown San, San Diego last night. Did you see those videos? That I, I Obviously, COVID aside, that was one of the coolest things I've seen all year. I'm so happy for that fan base, in my opinion, and I'm saying this as a Mariners fan, so I'm sure the Mariners fall into this category. But the Padres are a team that everyone forgets about, or at least did in the last decade. Uh, weren't very flashy besides that little run with uh, Matt Kemp, Justin Upton, and all those guys, Kimbrell as well. Uh, but really have always fallen under the radar. And look, this fan base in San Diego that just lost a football team a handful of years ago finally has something to root for. It's a shame they don't get to go into Petco Park, the beautiful Petco Park, to celebrate those wins, but they were rumptious last night. Fernando Tatis, who was looking like an A-list celebrity, was cheering on that crowd. It was so cool. I was so happy for that fan base to see that, and especially for Fernando Tatis that deserves more recognition than anyone in Major League Baseball right now, in my opinion. Uh, but yeah, a super fun series. I was incredibly impressed with the Padres, too, because you said it was very grim at one moment when they were trailing 4 nothing. They had stranded the bases loaded, I think, a couple times in Game 2. Uh, Adam Wainwright looked fairly solid. I, I think he only went like three or four innings, uh, but then Three and two thirds, yeah. Yeah, three and two thirds. And then uh, they brought in a lefty to strike out Tatis. If I'm correct, I'll delete that. I don't know if that's right. But uh, Fernando Tatis strikes out with the bases loaded, which looked like a huge down point in that moment. And I think Tatis had only had one hit or so in that series so far. And all of a sudden, something clicked, started off with the walk to my boy, Austin Nola. And then Fernando Tatis leaves the yard, gets them back in the game. They already had two on the board at that point, makes it a one run game. Uh, and then. It's home run derby after that. Machado, Myers for two more. Uh, incredibly, incredibly fun stuff to watch. And then in game three, it was all Padres. Let's talk about that bullpen a little bit. I know you touched on it for a sec here. Uh, but the nine pitchers used by Tingler, I know we said we did, it did not work for the White Sox, but it does work for the Padres uh, yesterday evening, and they were all very good. You know, even Patino, who's a young kid who's coming up, who struggled in a small sample size, was able to get out of some jams right there and keep a goose set on the board for the Cardinals. Yeah, I don't mean to take away from the Padres' bullpen because I really think that they're elite, but I think the bigger storyline this game actually was just the fact that the Cardinals do not have a very good offense yeah. besides Paul Goldschmidt. Again, it would have been a real shame, and that's the thing about these three-game series because it would have been a real shame if the Cardinals had put up some good runs in games one and two and beat the Padres because the fact of the matter is the Padres are a better team than the Cardinals, yeah. and I don't really think you can argue otherwise. The Padres' offense is just head and shoulders above the Cardinals' offense, and I it was just so glaring in Game 3. We see Matt Carpenter. If I have to see Matt Carpenter come up as the designated hitter for the Cardinals one more time, batting 180 in the regular season, I know he's <laughs> been there for so long, but that's just embarrassing for a playoff team to have a guy hitting 180 as your designated hitter. I mean, the Cardinals... To me, they're a really solid team. Again, they talked a lot on the broadcast in Game 3 about how they don't make errors. And obviously they had that really yeah. bad inning where they made a bunch of errors and that really uh, ended their season there. But they're not a flashy team. They really aren't 
don't have any elite players. Again, Goldschmidt, you could argue, is one of the elite first basemen in the game. But besides that, they're more a group of good players than elite flashy players. And I think that really showed in game three. Yeah, and I, I think what was so impressive was how scrappy they were in the first couple games, even after losing that big lead in game two, still able to punch away and try to keep themselves in that ball game. But I still think we can't shy away from the Padres bullpen just because going into that game, going into that morning, I don't even know if Jace Tingler knew who he was who he was going to start. And then they go with Stammon, who again is good for about an inning and a half or so, and then continue to pass on the torch. And that was a one nothing game at one point. And again, the Cardinals offense is not great, but still with a lot of guys who I think at the front end of that ball game didn't quite have much experience. I know you get to Rosenthal and so forth in the back end of that ball game, uh, able to keep them in that escape a couple jams. I know the big long fly ball off the bat of Fowler that would have given the Cardinals three runs, fortunately for the Padres, stay in the yard. I think that was pretty impressive. And if there's any team that needs three days off right now, that is that San Diego Padres team. Yeah, and I can I think if you had to bet, you if if you were to say to me before game three, hey Ryan, the Padres are gonna use nine pitchers tonight. <laughs> I'm gonna bet you that the Padres aren't gonna give up one run. I would have said, Hell yeah, Max, I'm gonna take that bet. One of those guys is gonna give up a run. One of those <laughs> nine pitchers that comes in is gonna give up a run. But they did it. They absolutely dominated the Cardinals offense, which again, as we talked, isn't a great offense. But to keep them scoreless through nine innings with nine pitchers again. It could have been a one-run game, too, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It was just a fantastic job. They've got so many young arms mixed with veteran arms. We saw Stammen start his first game since 2010. Yeah. <laughs> come through with one and two-thirds scoreless innings and then give it off to Tim Hill with one scoreless inning and so on and so forth. Two young pitchers, Patino and Maury Hone there just two of their top prospects. It's really refreshing to see a nice mix of veteran and young players come through for the Padres bullpen. Yeah, imagine I tell you last year. This is just, imagine I tell you last year. Yeah, and this is, we can essentially consider this game three just the normal wild card game. So imagine I go back in time. First time we met, freshman year of high school. I'm like, yeah, Ryan, 2020, wild card game. Padres Cardinals is going to be Jack Flaherty versus Craig Stammen. And the Padres are going to shut out the Cardinals using nine pitchers four to nothing. That would be something else right there. And again, Jack Flaherty was good. What, six innings of one run ball, but it wasn't enough, obviously, as that Cardinals offense, as you mentioned, was abysmal this season, to say the least. All right, let's talk about that last one, which similar storylines in it in the Reds and the Braves. Obviously, the Reds struggle, or excuse me, not the last one. We have a couple more, but the Reds and the Braves, the Reds struggling mightily to execute with runners in scoring position and let's start off with Trevor Bauer again I think he's turned into my favorite non-Mariners baseball player at this point uh, was lights out seven to two thirds I think of shutout baseball and then the bullpen which is really picked up in the back end of the season for the Reds I was very good and when you lose a game one nothing I don't think you could blame the pitching at all and that's not the or, and that is the case in this situation the offense was just not there in the situations they needed to the amount of times they had a runner 90 feet away in extra innings might I add and they didn't execute I mean, I'd be rich if I got a dollar for the amount of times that that happened. Oh, speaking of bad offense, you bring it right into the Reds. Perfect segue. That was pitiful, (laughs) that performance. I mean, Joey Votto, come on. You're a veteran man. First, I mean, he doesn't score on that base hit to left field. He's on second base. Mm -hmm. That was brutal. I mean, there's so many plays where they left runners on made base running miscues the Reds offense should be embarrassed with themselves again they couldn't put up one run in 13 innings 
I mean, again, and then, give two games. The, yeah, and no, and then two games. <laughs> yeah, I'm not even talking about the second game. I mean, again, if you're Reds pitching again, they're like, okay, guys, you're gonna throw 13 scoreless innings today. They've been like, yes, let's go win in game one. And then, not 13 scores, excuse me, because they gave up the base hit to Freddie Freeman at the end, but <laughs> you gave up... You, you one run in 13 innings scores. is still just yeah. as good, yeah. Yeah, yeah. if you told them you only give up one run in 13 innings, you're like, okay, so it must have been a 1-1 tie going into the going in, going into extra innings, and, and our guys pulled it out, but that was not the case. The Reds' offense, again, was just absolutely disgraceful. I don't mean to be awful. I don't want to go on a Chris Russo rant here on the Reds like he did yesterday. <laughs> he was absolutely absolutely ranking on them and again i really don't blame him sometimes russo rants about things that really aren't a huge deal but this one i'll give him all the credit in the world for for going after them on this one because they absolutely deserved it again i didn't have much confidence with them coming into the series but they proved my point that they just couldn't hit again i know you would discuss with me that hey the reds seem like their offense is heating up a little bit they could be dangerous against the braves because they've got good pitching well they've got good pitching but their offense did not heat up if anything they got much colder which is quite unfortunate for any Cincinnati fan but good run this season again at one point we weren't even sure if they were going to make the playoffs but again let's give a little more credit to the Braves again they showed that again their elite core really paid off for them all right back to the AL now I think this one's an interesting series just because it was so dominated by one team let's go to those Rays and Blue Jays this was a series I think almost the entire baseball world had picked uh, the Tampa Bay Rays, and unfortunately for the Blue Jays, I mean, very much like the Reds, it didn't seem like they showed up. Uh, the pitching was good in Game 1, but Game 2 got away from them, and they set it up interestingly. Montoya went with Ryu in Game 2, and I like that just because if it's an elimination game, then you give yourself a good chance to get bounced back and get a win, a guy who has a ton of experience in October, and then you have Walker in Game 3, but it did not work out. The Rays mash pitching that is under 95 miles an hour. In fact, it's the opposite. They struggle against pitching against 95 mile an hour plus we're able to take advantage of for you my man my hero my boy Mike Zanino comes up with his first postseason home run looked a little difficult in game one after striking out a few times but in game two he mashed that ball out to left field and I was so happy uh, but yeah the race moving on in easy fashion but if you're a Blue Jays fan in my opinion before I pass it on to you Ryan you gotta be happy just with the improvements and the strides that you saw with this team again so young uh, it was it was a fun it was fun to watch them this season. I definitely think they'll be back. Yeah, the one really unfortunate thing, obviously the un the main unfortunate thing for the Blue Jays is the fact they didn't advance. But the glaring unfortunate thing that happened was Ryu's a uh, really bad start there in Game Two, and they signed him to a huge deal this off season. There was really a chance that you could argue that Ryu could have a good start and push a Game Three there. But he gave up seven earned runs and just didn't look good from the start. Uh, it, it just really uh, it, it showed the Blue Jays' weakness just as a, as a team, that, a young, unexperienced team. Again, Bichette with the throwing error and a couple small things that just all around showed that they maybe weren't ready for the big playoff stage. But again, the fact that they made it with their young core, who was just starting to get some big league experience, is a great thing if you're a Blue Jays fan. And I think... We could see them there again in the next couple of years, depending on the playoff format. But I think yeah. even with the five teams, you could potentially see them uh, next year, depending on how quickly those young players progress making the playoffs again. Yeah, and I think they're one of those teams, too, that I think a lot of people expected them to compete with 
16 teams going into the playoffs, but we're able to say, look, at the trade deadline, we're in this. We don't need to sell our entire farm system to try and make a World Series run, but why not pick up a Tywin Walker and a Robbie Ray who are fairly cheap just to see if we could push ourselves that deep, and that's what they did, and it didn't work out. But you know what? As we mentioned, you have to be positive coming out of that one either way for a Blue Jays fan. Now, a similar series, and the loser is not so positive, is that Astros and Twins series, the Twins. That is probably the most tragic story, in my opinion, in terms of a team's performance in this postseason. I put it worse than the Cincinnati Reds just because the Twins were the favorite in this series, and you're looking to push past and move on in advance of the postseason series for the first time since, what, 2002, the Moneyball year uh, against the A's, and it is so Shakespearean that they finally get in there, don't play the Yankees, but are facing a Yankees-esque team in terms of how fans view them in the Houston Astros and cannot pull it off. What, did they score one run in two games? I think it was on the Nelson Cruz double. Or no, I think Cruz had a couple doubles and drove in a couple, but it was absolutely terrible. There were a couple base running miscues with Byron Buxton, the bases loaded walk from Sergio Romo, the error from Polanco in game one of the ninth inning that would have sent the game to the bottom of the ninth inning, I believe, tied. There's just I can't even count it on my hand. There's too many mental errors in that one, and the offense didn't show up, and it was just tragic to say the least. Again, the key play that really summed up the whole series, short as it was for the Twins, was the Jorge Polanco error. That was killer. Again, you would have thought that the Twins would have been able to rebound. And I'm going to own it right here before we get into the predictions later on. I want to start from a clean slate with the predictions, but I'm going to own this one. I had the Twins and the Cubs in the World Series. We're going to get to the Cubs in a moment, but this just didn't work out for me. I don't want to talk about myself (laughs) here and make this about me. But I really felt like the Twins this year, again, you talk about it being Shakespearean-esque facing another team besides the Yankees. It's time for them to win a playoff game. They've, they're holding the Astros going into the ninth, and then they just completely fall apart. Again, it was really devastating for Minnesota, who just played so well all year, came back to win the division, coming down right to the wire, won it by one game over Chicago and Cleveland, proved they were the best team in the American League Central, yet just couldn't take down Houston and again I think that Astros postseason experience played a large role there they never quit they were never out of it again Correa we all love him no we don't just kidding <laughs> again uh, he, uh, he, uh, he played with a chip on his shoulder and give the Astros credit even though we don't want to they advance with a big series win over Minnesota yeah I doubt Carlos Correa is listening to this but if he is like I don't dislike baseball players ever. I generally, like, for example, I was bothered by the Blue Jays because they come in a safe go field, but I enjoy watching Jose Bautista hit that game five home run. I enjoy Edwin Encarnacion's walk off home run against the Blue Jays in the wild card game. But Carlos Correa, man, there's one guy that my kids ask me when I'm older who is your least favorite baseball player? Carlos Correa is at the top of that list right now. And you know what? He came up big, hit the big home run to the opposite field, and it ended up being the nail in the coffin for the twins. So you got to tip your cap sometimes, but I hope, I hope those Astros have a much more difficult time against those A's, but let's move on to the national league. Again, another series, ironically enough, where one team did not show up offensively, those Chicago cups, and you got a great start from you Darvish in a game that you needed to win. 
and they did not show up in the magnificent arm of Matt Joyce obviously saved the day uh, throwing out Contreras at home play on the Hayward broken back single but let's go back to game one Sandy Alcantara versus Kyle Hendricks the story of two completely different pitchers um, and the Marlins were able to come up on top based on two swings one from Dickerson one from Aguilar and the Cubs were, able, were only able to muster one run what are your thoughts from that series as a whole? Well, what a beautiful swing by Corey Dickerson, by the way. Just flips one up into left center, hangs it in the basket. And the Marlins are up. (laughs) Huge, yeah, huge swing there. Just devastating for the Cubs. Again, I'm going to own this one straight up right now. (laughs) I had the Cubs winning the World Series. I felt with their postseason experience the last year with their core together, they had the team chemistry. I really felt like they were going to make a run here. I thought they would overthrow the – yes, I thought they would overthrow the Dodgers – Maybe did I really think that? No. Did I want to be different? Maybe yes. Did I do I think they're a better team than the Dodgers? No. But I did feel like maybe they had a chance to make a run here and have a big uh, World Series championship again, <laughs> another one with their core. But that will not be the case. They just didn't show up offensively. I really felt like at some point again, Chris Bryant with two huge games and the regular season. Yeah, I'm like, all right, this too, is yeah. it. Yeah, I, I really thought he was going to get on a hot streak there. I thought. Anthony Rizzo with some postseason experience. Really, you can't even just pick two guys because their whole offense pretty much has that postseason experience. They have, they've had that core together. Contreras and Schwarber and Baez included. They've had those guys since 2016 when they won the World Series. I really felt like, again, uh, this was going to be a big year for them, their last year with their core together. But unfortunately, uh, the Cubs dynasty, I guess, as you can call it, I don't, I don't think you could really call that, but the Cubs years with their main core uh, seem like they, they're in the past now. Yeah, it's funny you say that because I think after 16, a lot of people thought that was going to be the big dynasty, but they started to fall off a little bit, starting with losing the wild card game back in uh, 2018. But yeah, no, you got to be super disappointed if you're a Cubs fan, especially since it's likely the last time you'll see that core together, especially considering they might trade Chris Bryant in the offseason. We'll see how that happens. It's definitely going to be a very busy offseason over there at Wrigley Field. Uh, But for the Marlins, quite a fun story. And again, I really like their top three pitching. I thought that was the only chance that, or I, I, sorry, excuse me. I think I thought coming into that, that pitching was the only chance that they were going to win that series, and that's exactly what happened. Alcantara was great. Sixto Sanchez, again, stepping up as a rookie who didn't even play more than half of the season this year, if I'm correct. Uh, ice in his veins, able to throw that 100-mile-an-hour fastball with a 92, 93-mile-an-hour diabolical changeup. It's unbelievable. I love this Marlins team. Such an underdog coming into this series. And the bullpen with uh, Kintzer and Boxberger at the back end, both guys with closing experience who I think really got slept on. Nick Vincent, another guy as well who I love, uh, really paying major dividends of this entire season for them, and then coming up big in the postseason as well. This Marlins team's fun. I don't know if they match up well against the Braves. We'll talk about that later, but definitely a fun story for sure. Yeah, one guy I want to point out, again, you talk about that big three in the Marlins rotation, uh, Alcantara, Sixto Sanchez, and again, the third guy who we haven't seen yet, who we both talked about is pretty underrated, Pablo Lopez. Yeah. Again, he's thrown, he made 11 starts from this year with a 3-6 ERA, had six wins. This is a guy who could come up big. Again, we'll talk about uh, the Braves-Marlins series coming up, but again, I think that's a guy to look out for. Again, you talk about the veteran presence of Kinsler at the back end of the uh, back end of the bullpen there, closing out. He did a really solid job this year. And then Garrett Cooper with a big home run all around. Again, we talk about Matt Joyce as a guy who's a journeyman who's been around, a really likable guy. I think the fact that he's been around, now he's in the postseason with this Marlins team. They just 
if you look at their roster, um, if and if you knew nothing about the season, you, you knew about baseball, but you knew nothing about the season, you look at the Marlins roster, you would think, okay, this is like a, maybe they're lucky if they're 500. Yeah. <laughs> but now they're advancing in the postseason. They've got, got a hodgepodge of veterans and young players, and they've really meshed together well. And, they're, and their anthem right now is that bottom feeder mentality when they – Again, the Reds, uh, uh, excuse me, the Phillies announcer calling them bottom feeders early on in the year. They've really taken that motto and they've run with it. And they're out to prove people wrong. And again, that's a dangerous thing in the postseason when you get that feeling that you've got nothing to lose, which is the case with the Marlins. Yeah, and I don't want to say they walked into this one because they deserve it. And I feel like that has a negative connotation to it. But almost in a way they did. I feel like in this offseason, they were, again, a very young team. And they went out and got some veterans, as you said, Dickerson, Joyce, Aguilar, Boxberger, Kinsler, so forth. The list goes on. And guys that you could potentially ship off at the deadline to maybe get you know, a pretty decent prospect or some sort of return, maybe some international money or something like that. But 60 games, they got hot, and all those guys had really good years. And then you got the balance of the younger guys as well. So much fun, um, and I'm really excited. And a guy I really like, Jazz Chisholm, again, struggled offensively in the season. But if that guy can get hot and do something fun with his personality, I think that would be really fun to see uh, in this division series against the Braves. Let's move on to our last division series here. There's a lot, and I will admit I made a mistake here. I went with only two American League wildcard series to start off this segment, thinking in my head that it was the five-team format, but we have so many different uh, different uh, uh, matchups here that it was bouncing around. But let's move to the last one here, the Dodgers and the Brewers. Again, coming into this one, I think there was no question the Dodgers were the better team. And while I liked to see the Brewers in the postseason because there's a lot of players on that team that I liked, they didn't deserve to be there, plain and simple, and that was shown And what, you know, they were actually kind of competitive in both games, I'll give them that, were trailing by one run in the last, or two runs after the Seager home run in game one, and I think they lost last night's game, or excuse me, a couple nights ago by three, uh, so they did keep him in it, uh, Woodruff obviously went four or five innings or so, then got ejected, uh, what were your thoughts on that one, I think I know, you know, what the basis is on it. Yeah, again, I don't want to make fun of him because he was one of your. Or I'm not even. I'm not even really making fun of him, but he was one of your former Mariners, so I won't. I won't talk him down too much. But if you have Ryan Healy as your cleanup hitter <laughs> against Clayton Kershaw, like I know it's the right-left matchup, but if you have him as your cleanup hitter in an elimination game, you don't deserve to advance. Like, come on now. Uh, they, they just really didn't have the firepower that the, the Dodgers had, and I think if. If the Brewers had upset the Dodgers, a lot of people would have been upset because they would have said, this 16-team playoff format with the three-game wildcard series, this is a sham. We shouldn't have the Brewers advancing over the Dodgers who were clearly better. The Dodgers should have had a bye and whatnot, whatnot. But again, the Dodgers did what they did all season. They just rolled over the Brewers and advanced. And I don't think we have to get really in-depth about this series because, again, the bottom line is the Dodgers were clearly the better team. The one thing notable something if you could pick something out of this series that was notable was Clayton Kershaw's performance again he's notably struggled in the playoffs in the past 13 strikeouts eight shutout innings tells his manager to leave him in the game yells at the pitching coach to stay in the dugout that was a very fun moment there um but it's nice to see him perform well in the playoffs for once now yeah, the amount of former Mariners in that game, what you got? And I might forget some, there were so many. First of all, David Freitas, who I didn't even know made the postseason roster, but third catcher, loved to see that. Uh, then you got 
other Mariners catcher in Omar Narvaez. Then you got Ryan Healy, Ben Gamble, and Daniel Vogelback. And that's five. And then I know they had Justin Smoke at one point earlier in the season as well to open it up. So that's six. Obviously was DFA, then went to the Giants for a handful of games. But uh, got to love that former Mariner love over there. Then you got Chris Taylor in left field too. So fun stuff with that. All right, let's move to our last segment here as we're just about at an hour here. I love it. I've been such a fun time talking baseball. Let's start with the American League Division Series between the Yankees and the Rays. We already covered somewhat the antics coming into this one. If you guys don't know, Mike Brousseau and Aroldis Chapman and the Rays bullpen and Kevin Cash in general, I guess you could say, had a little bit of a beef in the regular season this year. This one's going to have a lot of fireworks in it. I'm really excited. I say Rays in four just because of the bullpen depth for the Rays, and the Yankees' bullpen hasn't been the fantastic, glorious pen that we've seen the last couple of years. And the fact, too, that uh, the Rays struggle against high velocity, and the Yankees don't have too many of those guys in their starting rotation besides Garrett Cole. And the Rays are the better team, in my opinion. So the only thing that helps the Yankees out is if their offense stays hot, but I do think the Rays' pitching will shut them down. Yeah, we're talking about this here. I'm picturing we got the Yankees offense coming at Mike Brosseau's head like an Aroldis Chapman fastball coming at the <laughs> Rays pitching. This is a clash of the Titans here. We got the Rays pitching, Rays bullpen elite. We got the Yankees offense, and they're coming together. Boom! All right, hopefully no one gets hit here because we do have some bad blood between these two yeah. teams. But it will be really exciting to see the Rays pitching against the Yankees offense. Uh, the Rays offense, again, is is good also, but they have the most strikeouts in baseball, Kind of are kind of thrown together. They're really more of a platoon team and have yeah. a lot of really underrated guys. But again, the firepower for the Rays mostly comes from their elite pitching staff with Glass now, Sal, Snell, and Morton. Um, amongst Yarborough, who might be pitching potentially that game four if we get there. Uh, and again, the the Yankees offense is just elite. They've got good pitching also with Cole and Tanaka typically pitches pretty well in the postseason. Yeah, and then Debbie Garcia and Hap also are pretty solid. But again, the big storyline of this series, I believe, is going to be that Rays pitching against that Yankees offense. No doubt. And he is, I like the Clash of the Titans reference right there because literally that is what it is. And I think the Yankees will take game one with Garrett Cole. Tanaka is going to be the decider, in my opinion, if he could take, or it depends if they throw him in game two, they might be more comfortable in game three, just in case that's an elimination potentially. Uh, but that's the big one. And as you mentioned, Tanaka has been the best postseason pitcher for the Yankees in the last five, six years or so. I think he's absolutely been worth that deal that they signed him for back before what, 2013, 14, um, out of Japan. But yeah, I do think the Rays are the better team. What's your prediction though? What do you got? Who Rays or Yankees? How many games? All right, originally I picked the Yankees to advance just because I felt like they would get really hot in the playoffs, which they have, and I'm going to stick with that. I really okay. do like Tampa. As a fan, I'm rooting for Tampa because I don't like the Yankees. I don't hate the Yankees. I'm not one of those Red Sox fans who just hates the Yankees out of just out of spite. But, again, I would like to see the Rays advance just because the Yankees in their team history have just been so good and won so much. I would like to see Tampa go, uh, go and try and get that championship. Uh, but again, I believe the Yankees offense will come through against the Tampa bullpen at some point. Again, Tampa, the Tampa bullpen has just been, been a, an amalgamation of just really good pitchers from all different areas, all different backgrounds. I think at some point in this series, they're going to crack, though, and the Yankees are going to come through because uh, the their offense is just so good. 
I, I see what you're saying there. I think that's a good point. But the one thing I do like about the Rays is that there are no days off in this five-game series. So I think that bullpen's going to play much more of a pivotal role, especially in the back end of that series if it gets that far. And with that said, I think the Yankees, while you got, what, Britton and Chapman and a couple other guys have been good, the loss of Tommy Canely is really huge right now if you're a Rays fan. But besides that, Adovino's been struggling, and I don't think they're that same Yankees pen that we saw in 18 and 19. And I think when we get to the back end, when they're relying that on that a lot, I think the Rays win that one. But we'll see how it plays out. I like I like the clash here. We'll come back next week and we'll see how we turn out. Let's move to the A's and the Astros. Again, very similar to the Yankees and the Rays. Have some off-the-field uh, drama as well. This year it was with multiple things. Mike Fires, former Astro, being the whistleblower in the Houston Astros investigation that, of course, everyone knows about. Now he's on the A's and there's a good chance that he'll pitch against them in this five-game series, best-of-five series. And then you got Loriano as well, who had some chirping going on with the bench after a couple of hit-by-pitches, and that forced the benches to clear him, what I think is one of the more significant benches-clearing altercations we saw this year. The fact that those two teams are facing is really fun. And before I ask you for your thoughts on that as well, I think it'd be so much fun to see a Yankees-Astros-ALCS, and I almost might root for that just because I think that would be great baseball right there, just the storyline going into that. But for me, I do have the A's in four games, very much like the Yankees against the Rays. I do think the Astros are a good enough team to take one, especially looking at the pitching in the front end of that rotation. But the A's have the better pitching, and the offense is interesting. I'd actually be curious to see. I haven't looked yet, but... Uh, I'd imagine they're somewhat close. I know the A's have been notoriously terrible offensively this season, but they've heated up a little bit the last couple games uh, here in the postseason. I do like the A's a lot. I think they are the favorite, and I'm going to be the guy that goes with the favorite in this situation. Yeah, again, you make a good point with those five-game series with no days off when you were talking about Tampa's pitching paying off. I think the same thing benefits Oakland with yep. that pitching mm-hmm. depth. Again, they have so much more pitching depth than Houston that it's it's really a glaring weakness for Houston. They have so many young, unexperienced guys in that bullpen. Again, I'm not sure if they're going to be able to count on their five, four or five big starters there to come through uh, in the in those five games. They, they Again, they only have... Uh, they only have five really good pitchers when you look into it. I guess we'll, we'll, we'll roll through them here. Let's talk about it. Who do you think is their best pitchers? I think if you go through, you have Granky's role, pretty reliable. Javier and Valdez could be key coming out of the bullpen. But then again, you might need one of those guys to start a game since you need, really need piece, four starters. To me, the big piece to me is Lance McCullers. And he showed some really good stuff against the Mariners back in his last, I think that was his last start of the season. It came in the last week. Uh, but again, coming off the Tommy John, I think he's had enough outings where I think you got to say, all right, come on it's time to get into a groove here and start to figure it out but if he could be the Lance McCullers of 2017 then I think that could be a huge difference in this series right here but again it's which guy are you going to get and honestly I said four games just because I think the Astros are a good enough team where they might run into a win right there but I still actually think this could be an A's sweep just because you brought it up with the bullpen and that was something I was underlooking right there the bullpen is incredibly unexperienced for them and the fact I think right no Roberto Azuna as well Uh, so I think that's going to really hurt them especially in the longevity of this series and how important depth will be so I, I really agree with that point right there yeah, and again, I, I want to give a little bit of credit to the pitchers in the Astros bullpen because they have had Blake Taylor really show up this year. Uh, lefty Rookie lefty came in, and he's been a good setup man for them. But again, are you going to rely on Blake Taylor, the one good setup man on the Astros, or are you going to rely on 
Diekman, Soria, Petit, and all the and on and on for the A's bullpen, who's just been so solid all year. Again, I think it's going to come down to the bullpens in the series, and I think Melvin's gonna is going to go to those his bullpen pretty quickly. Again, uh, I I would not be surprised if the A's don't even have a starter reach five innings in the series. Yeah, and I think if you're in a situation where you need to, just because of the uh, the format of this ALDS series, I think he might try to stretch, you know, whether it be uh, Luzardo or maybe a Fires, uh, just as long as you can, just because you need that bullpen rest. I think one day, I think, and again, I think the A's shouldn't have a problem with this because they're a much better team than the Astros, but it would be a luxury for him to have one pitcher go deep enough where you don't have to rely on that bullpen as much just because you don't want to tax him. I mean, we saw it with the Yankees last year in the American League Championship Series. I think right off the bat against the Astros, they had James Paxton go three innings or so, then went straight to the bullpen. And I think that does hurt you a little bit, especially since you don't have days off. But we'll see. I do like that bullpen a lot. All right, let's twist over to the National League right now. We got the Dodgers and the Padres. Again, all of these are inner division matchups, which you got to love. And it's ironic, it's ironic the fact that the Central sent seven teams combined with the AL and the NL to the postseason, and all of them got eliminated in the first round. But we got the inner division matchups here. Padres, Dodgers, there's a chance to get Clevenger and potentially Lamette back too, which I think changes this series completely. Uh, who do you have in that one? Yeah, again, it's really hard to make this decision before the series because, again, you don't know if Lamette or Clevenger come back. And, again, like you said, that changes the whole dynamic. Let's again, make two those predictions. guys have been just so sunk. Yeah, again, actually, I don't think it really matters either way. I, I'm still going with the Dodgers either way. I think it changes the dynamic of the series. Yeah. I think this, it could change, well, I think it games, could change yeah. the series. Yeah, I think it could change the length of the series. But again, the Dodgers have just been such an elite team this year. I think they're head and shoulders above the rest of the National League. Um, I believe that they're going to come through here just with their depth all around. I think the one concerning thing with the Dodgers is the back end of the bullpen. I yeah. would say that the Padres have a better bullpen than the Dodgers, as we saw. Uh, they showed that off in the St. Louis series. But again, I think the Dodgers are going to come through where they're going to be ahead already in most of these games, if not all of them, by the time they get to the later innings. So it's not really going to matter that much. I think Jansen has been... Uh, I think people have treated Jansen a little unfairly. I know there's been a lot of talk about him struggling. He obviously had one really bad game against Houston that really bloated his ERA again, but his season overall was still very good. I think he's still a very reliable option at the back of the bullpen, and I wouldn't really be concerned if I was a Dodgers fan about him. Obviously, the decrease in velocity is a little concerning, but I think he's learned to pitch around that dropping velocity to the point where he can still be very effective and still be a lockdown closer for the Dodgers. And again, if not, they showed that Bruce Star Gratterall can close out games also. We saw him get the save with uh, against Milwaukee in that series uh, earlier this week. But again, I'm going with the Dodgers all around here. I think everything about their team is so far ahead of the Padres, obviously, with the exception of that bullpen. Yeah, and I think this is going to be the most interesting series and the most evenly matched series I guess you could say I wouldn't say the Dodgers are so much far over the Padres but the offense is definitely an extra step up but I do think the Padres pitching in terms of everything as a whole can keep this in this series and I think they could take it to five games for sure as long as they have Clevenger and Lament. If they don't, I think the Dodgers dominate this series, take it in three or four games. I'd like to see the Padres go in five games and just for the fun of it, if they have Clevenger and Lament, I'm going to say Padres in five. 
I, I know the Dodgers are easy to go with, and I did choose the Dodgers to go to the World Series, but I want to see the Padres pull this one off. I think they're riding in high right now. The chemistry is an all-time high. They play the game with flair, and they have fun. They are a little bit more young, but you still have your veterans like Eric Hosmer, who's been there before. Manny Machado did it with the Dodgers, or at least went to the World Series with the Dodgers back in the past. You got a Rosenthal, who had a lot of postseason experience with the Cardinals, and those are just a few of the names to list off right there. I think the entire world will likely be rooting for the Padres in this series unless you're from the Southern or San Diego's in Southern California but unless you're from the LA area uh they're gonna be fun I'll say Padres in five if they have Clevenger and Lamette all right let's move to that final National League Division Series here we got the Braves and the Marlins I'll pass this one on off to you to start off yeah, this is a really interesting series again because this is another intra-division matchup. We got Atlanta and Miami who have played each other multiple times this year, obviously, since we were they're in the same division. So they've had a lot of experience facing off each other. These guys are pretty familiar with each other, and I think they, they've, they've really fought hard against each other this year. Atlanta obviously winning the division by four games, but I think Miami, again, is so dangerous just because they have that bottom feeder mentality, I'm going to call it. They've got that we've got nothing to lose mentality, and that's just so dangerous when you get into playoffs like this. Atlanta has a lot of weight on their shoulders. Again, they've been a really good team in the past few seasons and they just haven't got it done so I think Miami could be dangerous I'm still gonna go with Atlanta here just because their team on paper looks much better than Miami but again if I'm rooting for a team in the series I am gonna root for the Marlins just because they're just so fun to watch again they don't have any of the big name guys quite contrary to Atlanta who has Acuna they have Freeman they have Albies they have Osuna and they have Freed heading the rotation but I think the Braves pitching, again, is going to be their weakness in this series. Besides Freed, they really don't have any big-name stars. Obviously, Ian Anderson's been huge for the Braves this year coming up. He was a top prospect, very highly touted. But he's really come through for them this year. But besides that, again, you go through the rotation. It's really concerning to me if I'm a Braves fan. It's been an issue for them all year. They obviously were counting on Hamels coming back. They were counting on Fultonavich before the season to come through. That was a disaster. I won't even get into that. <laughs> but again, it, it, it's all led up to this now, and I think the pitching starting rotation is really concerning if I'm a Braves fan. Well, I'll tell you, I'll start off. I would have loved to see King Felix Hernandez out there starting game three of this series. And unfortunately, that will not happen because he opted out. But I do want to say, while I have the Braves in this series, I am so happy you brought up that point about the Marlins having nothing to lose and the Braves having so much to lose because it's 100% correct. The Braves coming in in 2018, it was a fun story. They were young. They surprised a lot of people. And they got eliminated. They got that big win, the Acuna Grand Slam and so forth. Were able to get that big win and lost in four games to the Dodgers. After that one, you're like, all right, the Braves are back. That was fun. That was encouraging. Kind of like what we saw with the Blue Jays this year, even though the Blue Jays didn't compete as much. But then 2019, coming in with higher expectations, facing an underlooked Cardinals team, and then losing in that terrible asinine of a ball game of game five where the Cardinals scored what 10 runs in the first inning or something like that uh and now you're coming in here in 2020 you got the MVP in Freddie Freeman at least in my opinion you got another MVP candidate while he did struggle a little bit to open up is still Ronald Acuna Jr. who is one of the faces of Major League Baseball the pitching is going to be interesting to see how they manage that but I think Snicker's been there before and he's a good manager he'll be able to figure it out but there's a ton of pressure if the Marlins get swept in this series Ryan you're coming out of that happy you you know this is 
way above expectations right now. But if the Braves, if they end up getting behind in this series or if the Marlins put pressure, it's going to be an interesting test for them to see if they can handle that pressure because you have so much on the line right here. If they lose to the Marlins... Oh my goodness, I don't know. What's worse, the Twins right now or the Braves losing to the Marlins in the Division Series? Obviously, the Braves got farther, but I think it would be really, really tough on that fan base and that organization. The one thing I want to point out, and I've said it before and I'll say it again, the Marlins have not lost a postseason yeah. series in their entire history of the organization. World Series that every makes time. makes them pretty yeah. dangerous. <laughs> Whether it's a different team, that still makes them a little dangerous in my mind. That magic Marlins mojo. That's right, the bottom feeder mojo. That will be some fun stuff right there. Absolutely, guys. And I want to thank you so much for joining us. We got a long show today, but I hope you're able to listen to it all. Again, from Max Tanzer, I'm Ryan Medeiros. Thanks so much for joining this episode of Matanzerus, and enjoy some playoff baseball.